Folks, have you checked out the Irish History Podcast shop recently? Right now, I have a sale of 30% off everything when you use the code SALE30. So go to irishhistorypodcast.ie forward slash shop and get 30% off everything when you use the discount code SALE30. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One of my favourite places in the world is the north of Wales. I used to go a lot, several times a year in some cases. It's surprisingly easily done and it's cheap. I'd get up early in the morning, head to the ferry port in Dublin and a few hours later I'd be in Hollyhead. Then, within an hour, I'd be lost in amazing landscapes or exploring some really incredible castles. Northern Wales literally has some of the best castles in Northern Europe. Now, COVID has made all this a bit difficult recently. Travelling is just not the same as it was. So last October, when I had to travel to Liverpool to record a show at the Liverpool Irish Festival, I was determined to get the most out of the fact that Wales was on the route back. Weeks before, Shirley and myself hit the road. I took down my trusty map of North Wales. Yep, I actually have an actual map of the region. And I spent a rainy afternoon in September looking for somewhere I hadn't been before. And with a bit of luck, I was hoping that I might be able to record a show. Initially, I was thinking of Frongoch. It's a Welsh village where hundreds of the 1916 rebels were incarcerated after the Rising. And I've never been there. But to be honest, I spent most of 2021 talking about the Irish War of Independence. So I was looking for something a bit different. Eventually, as my finger trailed south across the map from a town called Denby, I came across a town I recognised, Clangollen. It wasn't too far off our route, and I've always had an interest in its Irish connection. To be truthful, I didn't know too much of the detail about the story, but that's often the best place to visit because you find out so much more. I was aware, though, that sometime in the 18th century, two Irish aristocrats, from Kilkenny, where I live, had run off and lived together in this Welsh town. 
The story is fascinating for lots of reasons, but if you look it up online, there's endless speculation about the nature of the relationship between these two aristocrats because they were both women, Sarah Ponsonby and Eleanor Butler. They're often dubbed Ireland's first openly lesbian couple, and the story has just so many fascinating angles. After spotting the name Langollen on the map, I looked it up online, I found out that the house where they lived Plas Nuit is now a museum that tells the life of their story and I was immediately hooked. It would be a great place to visit. So I rang the number and within minutes I was talking to the manager Paul and he set up an interview with Garth A.P. Thomas, one of the guides. It was only a few weeks after this that on a wet Monday morning myself and Shirley left Liverpool after the festival. We crossed the border from England into Wales near Wrexham and then pulled off the motorway and began to wind our way through spectacular Welsh scenery, eventually reaching Clongollan. Now Clongollan is an absolutely idyllic place. The town is built along the banks of the River Dee and surrounded by rolling hills. We passed over a bridge that dated from the 17th century. Then we wound our way through some narrow streets and up the aptly named Hill Street before we finally arrived at Plas where Sarah Ponsonby and Eleanor Butler, who became known as the Ladies of Clongollan, lived. Now this house, where they lived for nearly 50 years, is beautiful, although it's not necessarily where you'd expect aristocrats to live. It's a more modest two-storey white building with a black timber frame. But in truth, few rarely pay much attention to the house itself when they first reach Plas Nuit. It's the story and the relationship between its two most famous inhabitants that draws people. After arriving, we had a coffee in what was once the dairy at Plas Nuit and then Garth arrived. He said he had to let two people into the house ahead of us and then he'd be able to show us around and explain the story. As we strolled down to the house behind the couple Garth had to let in, the man joked to his wife in a pretty crass tone about his imminent visit to what he called the lesbian house. They went in and about five minutes passed before he emerged and seemed somewhat disappointed. I'm still not quite sure what exactly he expected to find inside. But in reality, this house at Clongollan is not what most people expect. The story it reveals is far more complex and not straightforward at all. Now Garth started our captivating tour with an introduction of the two women and their lives. But before we get into that, I just want to introduce myself and the show for new listeners. My name is Finn DeWire and this is the Irish History Podcast. You can find out more about the show at irishhistorypodcast.ie or you can follow me at Irish History on Instagram and Twitter. I have a few quick announcements to start the show. First of all, the Irish History Summit is now approaching. It takes place on January the 15th, 2022. If you're a Leaving Cert history teacher or student, this is a must-attend event. The summit brings together speakers from leading Irish universities who present talks on Leaving Cert history topics. The idea behind the summit is to have easily accessed presentations online that are reliable sources with fresh perspectives for students. If you're interested or know someone who might be interested, you can find out more at irishhistorysummit.eventbrite.com. That's irishhistorysummit.eventbrite.com. 
And then just before we begin, if you're looking for more content, I released the latest exclusive show for supporters on Patreon and Acast Plus last week. This tells the story of Joseph Shaw, a totally forgotten figure from the Irish War of Independence, who was involved in the conflict for just one day, but it proved to be a day he wouldn't forget. That's available with hours of other bonus content waiting for you now on Patreon and Acast Plus. There's links in the show notes below. And finally, I want to say thanks to Garth for all his time and Shirley for all her driving. Sound on today's episode is by Jason Looney. Now back to the ladies of Clongallan. I left off just as Garth, the guy that Plast knew it, was about to explain the background of the story and who exactly Eleanor and Sarah were. The house that we have here in Llangollen is famous for two ladies who came here from Ireland. Lady Elna Butler and Miss Sarah Ponsonby. Now, to give you some background, uh, I'm afraid Sarah was an orphan. She lost her mother when she was three and her father when she was seven. Because of this, she was raised by relatives. Now, in the year 1768, when Sarah was 13, it was decided to send her to boarding school in Kilkenny. At this point, she was living in a beautiful house. It was called Woodstock. Absolutely gorgeous surroundings, but it was a little bit outside of Kilkenny itself. Anyway, come the age of 13, she's going to the boarding school. Now, Eleanor and her family lived in Kilkenny Castle, which was quite close to the boarding school. The two families knew each other socially because they're both quite wealthy, both quite high in status in society. So Serda's relatives asked Eleanor and her family, they said, please, when Serda starts boarding school, will you pop in to visit her, make sure she's happy, make sure she's settled, which they readily agreed to do. And in particular, it was noticeable that Eleanor and Sarah got on very, very well. This is despite a 16-year age gap between the two ladies. But they both had a love of literature, they knew the value of schooling, and there was a real meeting of minds between the two. Now, Sarah was at the school for five years, but even after she left, she continued to keep in contact with Eleanor, and for the next few years, their friendship blossomed. However, now we come on to a key year in the history of the ladies, which is 1778. So it's 10 years after they first met. The ladies have been enjoying a happy friendship, but I'm afraid in this year, 1778, everything's about to change. There are dark times coming for Eleanor and Sarah. With Eleanor, her family are looking to place her to live in a convent. With Sarah, I'm afraid Sarah's guardian is starting to make unwanted advances towards her. Both ladies are deeply upset with what's happening in their lives and they decide to run away together. They're gonna to start a new life well, well away from all these problems at home. The ladies devise a daring plan, what they're going to do at agreed date and time. They're going to meet out in the countryside. They're going to make their way down to Waterford on the Irish coast, sail over the Irish Sea, land in this country, and then try and find somewhere to live. The big night in question comes. From their respective homes, the ladies don outer gentlemen's garments. So if they're seen in shadow or in silhouette by a stranger, there's less likelihood they'll be challenged or stopped. Sarah also arms herself with a pistol. It's not her intention to use it, but if trouble breaks out, she might be able to wave the pistol around and buy some valuable time to escape. The ladies rendezvous outside the barn, as, as agreed, and then they start to make their way down to Waterford. At this point, everything's going well. However, the families discover what's happening and they send out search parties to hunt down Eleanor and Sarah. The search parties find the ladies before they're able to set sail to freedom. The families are absolutely furious because they know what's happened here is going to cause a big scandal and there's a command to Eleanor and Sarah, 
We're going to split you up. You two will never be in each other's company again. We strictly forbid it. But what the families can take into account is the courage, strength and determination of Ellen and Sarah to live and die together. They've pledged themselves to each other and their spirit simply cannot be broken. So what happens is there's a battle of wills, a tussle. You have Sarah and Eleanor on one side, you have the families on the other, and both sides are trying to impose their will on the opposition. So that's the background. You probably have lots of questions. I did, and in a way I still do, but that's the draw of this story. In terms of getting a better understanding, though, of the two women, we learn a lot from their attempt to run away together in 1780. Whatever the nature of their relationship, and I will return to this later in the episode, running away at this time took courage and would have created a huge scandal at the time. Garth picks up the story. Eleanor and Sarah are very much the underdog in this battle, that they're tenacious and they're absolutely determined. They're defying their families. There's a number of incidents I can give you about this, but maybe the best example, there's an incident where Eleanor goes missing for two days. No one knows where she is, what's happened to her, what's become of her. It's a total mystery. Eventually, she's discovered she's been hiding in a cupboard in Sarah's bedroom. It transpires that the ladies have been plotting a second escape. To make matters worse, it transpires that a housemaid, a lady called Mary Carroll, has has joined their ranks. She's been secretly helping them. From time to time, she's been coming up with food to uh, keep Eleanor going. Now, given what I've already said, it's no spoiler to say that the two women did manage to leave Ireland. Garth now explains how this finally came to pass. At this stage, the families realise they can't break the lady's spirit, so reluctantly, they say to them, we're going to let you go. Not with our blessing, but if you want to start this life that you think is going to be so wonderful, off you go. So Eleanor, Sarah and housemaid Mary Carroll, they get down to Waterford, they sail over the Irish Sea, they land in South Wales and then they begin a tour of Wales and the English border counties trying to find somewhere to live. Now eventually they come to Llangollen. The countryside surrounding Llangollen would be very familiar to them, it's very similar to what they know in, in Kilkenny, lots of beautiful lush green rolling hills. In addition, there's a strong Irish community in Llangollen because the town is a stopping off point on a popular uh, tourist travel route from London through to Holyhead, then onwards to Ireland. So they feel at home here. They decide to make Llangollen their base. But the next question is, where exactly in Llangollen are they going to live? This requires them to go on another tour now, a much smaller tour of Llangollen and surrounding villages. Now, eventually, in 1780, they come to this house here, this house that we now know as Plas Newydd. When they first came here, it wasn't called Plas Newydd, it was called Penamais, which in Welsh means the head of the field, because right in front of the house, which is now a, a beautiful parterre garden, that used to be a field, so the house was obviously the uh, head of the field. The ladies took it on rent, and they decided to change the name to Plas Newydd, meaning new place in Welsh. They felt it would be appropriate. They felt this is our new house, for, for our new life together. By this point in the story, the two women had left Ireland and I guess their families probably hoped they would just disappear into the Welsh countryside and would never be heard from again. This didn't happen. The story of Eleanor and Sarah has caused consternation. People have heard about these incredible women who dress as men, carry guns, run around the countryside at midnight, defy their rich families. People are very interested in Eleanor and Sarah. 
lots of stories start about the ladies. Now, some of these stories are based in fact, and some of them are totally fabricated. People get to hear about them, and the stories get more and more exaggerated, generates further interest in the ladies, and they get quite a few visitors. Now, the ladies would say to visitors, there's a welcome for you, but if you come to see us, we've got one request. Now, in modern times, this request sounds rather strange, but for what they wanted and in their era, it was a stroke of genius. They said to visitors, if you do come to see us, will you please bring and donate to us any old oak furniture that you don't want? Give it to us, please. Sounds very strange, but in their time, beautiful old oak furniture, which now would be very valuable in antiques and so forth, people literally didn't want it. The ladies wanted it, and they wanted it for a specific reason. They took a good hard look at this house, and they decided they wanted to create a gothic look, a gothic spirit, a gothic style for the house. And the way they were going to do that was receive donations of furniture. They'd have that furniture broken up. Then they'd take the panels and the carvings from the furniture, and they'd use it to adorn the house inside and out. At this point, though, I need to explain more about the house where the show was recorded, Plas Nuit, because the story of the two women is actually inseparable from this building. In many ways, it's a work of art, and it certainly helped me gain a better understanding of their relationship. If the two women were alive today, I could totally see it featuring in an episode of a show like Grand Designs. They used recycled furniture to create this amazing building with a fairy tale feel to it. On the outside, the porch is covered in carvings and inside the building is very similar. Garth explained more about this. Now, perhaps one of the best examples I can give you of, uh, of their project is the porch right at the front of the house. The ladies were very proud of, of that uh, porch when it was completed in 1814. They were so proud of it that when it was ready, they invited friends around to enjoy a porch warming party. But if you take a look at the porch, the porch is kept up by four posts. Those posts are actually bed posts. So someone donated a four poster bed. The ladies had it broken up using their incredible eye for, for uh, design and imagination. They said, we're going to use those posts in our porch. And throughout the house, you see examples where the ladies have taken tables, chests, chairs, all sorts. It's been broken up and the, uh, the carvings and the inlay have been used to decorate the house. Now, the ladies had many famous visitors, including the Duke of Wellington, the poet Wordsworth came, and he was so impressed by the ladies and their incredible story, he felt compelled to write a poem about them. Unfortunately, they didn't like the poem that he wrote, and they felt they could have done a better job, because it refers to them living in a low-roof cottage, a low-roof cot, and they thought the house was a bit grander than that, so they were disappointed. Next, we went inside the house. The building is very dark because of all this recycled furniture that's panelled onto the walls. In total, we spent about half an hour inside the house and there's lots of aspects of day-to-day -day life on show. While I will return to the story of the ladies, the powder room is just one aspect of this life at the time that's really intriguing. It's almost worth a show of its own, so I have to share this. It's a bit of a sidebar, but you will enjoy it. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a T-shirt. It's a Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. 
That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Now here we are in the uh in the guest bed chamber and we have a powder room. Now the powder room has lost its place in the world today, but if you went back to the ladies time, many of their visitors would have powdered their hair and trailed clouds of white powder as they entered the house. Hair was rarely washed at this time, so powder probably worked like a dry shampoo. During the 1790s, the ladies had their hair cropped in the fashionable tighter style and continued with this uh, look into old age. They also had their hair powdered as did their maid, Mary Carroll. The powder closet would have played a big part in the process. Now to begin, your servant would bring you into the powder closet. Then she would plaster your hair with grease, usually bare grease, or if you were wealthy uh, enough, pomatum. Pomatum was a scented paste composed of animal fat. The ladies used a mixture of hog's lard and beef suet cut small and melted with the same quantity of roses. This was squeezed through a cloth and put into jars with a very little essence of bergamot. Because of the meatiness of the pomatum, hair became so infested with rodents that beauty books contained special vinegar recipes to rid hair of vermin. We have no record that the ladies had that problem. Before I return to the story of Sarah and Eleanor, I want to create a fuller picture though of the life they created at Clongollan. Most of the discussion about the house is focused exclusively on Sarah and Eleanor and their relationship, but there was actually a third woman living in Plas Newit with the ladies, as Garth now explains. I'd like to tell you a little bit about Mary Carroll, if I may. She was absolutely dedicated to, to the ladies. Now, back in Ireland, Mary had a very interesting nickname. She was known as Molly the Bruiser. She got this nickname because one day she was having a round with a footman and she totally lost her temper with him. So she picked up a candlestick and threw it at him. And from that day, she, she, was, uh, she was known as Molly the Bruiser. She came over to, um, to Wales with, with the ladies and she, she served them with absolute dedication. They, they, were, they were devoted to each other. And in fact, all the ladies, uh, Mary, Ellen and Sarah, are now all buried together. Uh, the churchyard in, in Llangollen. Um, one of the things that, that stands out most about, about Mary is even after she passed away, she was invaluable to the ladies. She was brilliant at uh, running a household, absolutely brilliant with handling money. She didn't have a huge amount of money, but when she passed away in 1809, Mary left the majority of her estate to Sarah. Now, this was... Um, and say it wasn't a fortune, but it was enough for the ladies to get a 10-year mortgage. And that enabled the ladies to buy the house, which was important to them because just before uh, this, this period, I'm afraid the landlord was looking to put up the rent of the house. And the ladies took that as a sign that he was looking to get them out and maybe get more uh, wealthy tenants in, which was, would have been a massive blow for the ladies because they invested so much emotionally in the house, so, so much time and effort had, had gone into the house. But uh, uh, thanks, thanks to the, um, the, the dedication of many, they were able to buy the house. The ladies were very big diary keepers. And there's a passage in one of the diaries in, for January uh, 1819. It says, we this day completed the purchase of our house. So after, after 10 years, 
the house, the house was theirs. Yeah. Mary Carroll's life was obviously very different to that of Eleanor Butler and Sarah Ponsonby. And this is never more apparent than when you visit her room at Place Newid. It's far more spartan than anywhere else in the house. So we'll, we'll go upstairs to Mary Carroll's room now, if that's okay, up, yeah. the, uh, up the wooden staircases. Now, what would happen with Mary? Um, the ladies would, would retire around about nine o'clock. Mary would be keeping on her duties. And then when she was ready, she'd come through. She'd uh, wind her weary way up here. And here we are in Mary's quarters. As, as you can see, it's um, ra rather Spartan quarters. There's, there's a beautiful view over to Castellinus Bran, but uh, apart from that, it's uh, rather sparkly, um, sparkly furnished. But uh, Mary was, was uh, a hard worker. She'd be one of the very last to bed and one of the first up of, of, of the morning. Now, while I felt it was really important to cover Mary Carl in the story, Ultimately, Hlangollen and Plasnuid is famous because of Eleanor and Sarah themselves. While the house is fascinating, everyone does want to know about the nature of their relationship. Were they lovers or maybe just two women desperate to escape their lives who formed common cause and helped each other out? Now, I think it's fair to say by just walking around Plasnuid, you see that there was much more than common cause at work. There's evidence of an intense relationship of one kind or another. Indeed, the house itself is a testimony to this. Garth explained more about how they transformed the house and how it became a shared project and interest for the two women. Uh, in 1814, Sarah and Eleanor declared they were seized with oak carving mania. Inspired by the romantic and picturesque landscape uh, in which they lived, they discovered a way to gothicise the house with the lavish use of oak carvings. The carvings are mostly from late 16th and early 17th Jacobean furniture, which was heavily carved, and there were also medieval carvings from churches. Along with individual pieces, cartloads of carvings arrived that year, sent by friends who were clearing out their old unfashionable furniture to make way for the elegant style of the Georgian and Regency periods. During 1814, the ladies employed a local carpenter to attach the carvings to the house and build the porch to their design. In October, they had a porch warming party, inviting friends to celebrate the building of the porch, the windows either side of the front door and the hallway. What resulted was a glorious patchwork of richly carved oak, creating the gothic look that the ladies desired. In the library in the house, you also get a sense of other shared interests. For example, they had a love of learning, something that seems to have been one of the things that brought them together. As, as we can see in, in the library, um, the ladies placed big emphasis on books. What brought them together in the first place was their love of books, and they never lost that. When the ladies had money, they would uh, make sure that they uh, they invested it in, in, in buying books. The books that we have here today um, are, are representations of, of, of what the uh, what the ladies had, but they, they really show how much emphasis they, they, they put on books and the, the sheer delight of, of reading a book and, 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 and enjoying and improving your mind. Next, we went to the bedroom in Place Newark. Garth now gives you a sense of the room. This is, uh, this is the uh, ladies' bedroom. The bed we have here now, uh, that's original to the house, but it wasn't the, the ladies' actual bed. Uh, I'm, af I'm afraid that's gone, but it, it does give a, give a representation. Okay, so if it's not clear, the two women did share a bed. Now, while many point to this as clear evidence, 
that Sarah and Eleanor were lovers, there has been constant debate over the issue on and off for two centuries. Some have argued that the women shared what might be called a romantic friendship, which while close and even intimate in its own way, was not sexual. When I asked Garth what he thought about the relationship between the women, he said, Point of view of the exact nature of their relationship, the truth is no one actually knows. What we can say is the ladies lived here very happily together for 49 years and that's that's uh, qu quite an achievement. Some people say they were lovers, other people say they weren't. Now for what it's worth, the women themselves denied they were lovers, but given that such an admission could have landed them in court, there's a good case to be made that they would have denied it, in any case, for their own safety and security. The precise nature of their relationship has been, as I've said, debated on and off since the 1780s, with some of their contemporaries insisting they were lovers and others denying this was the case. Today, though, some scholars argue that the term queer relationship, basically one that can't be defined using traditional definitions of a relationship, is best, and it allows us to avoid this endless debate which will never be resolved unless new sources emerge. I've put a link to a lecture on YouTube by Laurie Moriarty that explores this in really great detail. It's really excellent. I can't recommend it enough. She delves into all the history and I think you'll be much better able to make up your own mind after watching that. As I say, there's links to that in the show notes below. To finish today's episode, I asked Garth about what happened to this remarkable house after the ladies died. Fantastic. Well, uh, now, in 1876, uh, a gentleman called General John York bought the property. Uh, now, he first met the ladies when he was a boy. He was out riding his horse in the hills uh, surrounding Llangollen. Unfortunately, he fell off his horse. Now, the ladies were out walking, and they saw what had happened, and they went to comfort uh, the young lad, and they, they had a very strange method of doing it. Uh, it's, it's, the legend says that they uh, stuffed his pockets with oranges. But whatever, that act of kindness was um, to be the start of a relationship that lasted for decades, was only broken when the ladies passed away. He thought absolute world of them. And in, as I say, in 1876, he had the opportunity to buy the house, which he took, and he had Plasner with as um, a sort of tribute to, to the ladies. He made quite a few changes to the house including um, putting on the, the Tudor-style black and white uh, that we, we see here today. That was in keeping with quite wealthy people of, of the era. As I say, he made quite a few changes inside the house, um, including the ladies' kitchen. When, when you first step inside the house, if you turn to the left, uh, we come into what we now know as the oak room. Uh, in the ladies' time was the kitchen. John York turned it into, into an oak room. He added quite a few carvings. Uh, he put uh, leather covering on, on the walls there. Um, in the ladies' time, the, the fireplace at the back, that would have been a huge range fire where lots of cooking would have uh, been taking place. In the ladies' time, there would have been access through to the cellar from the kitchen and then from the cellar out into the gardens where the ladies delighted in growing beautiful fruit and veg. Believe it or not, under glass, they even grew pineapples and peaches. But that, that was uh, a status thing. Uh, the um, the ma majority of... Uh, of the land was given over to what we call more mundane fruit and veg and they, the ladies would sell a quantity of their crops like potatoes and so forth uh, to, to get a, a bit more money in. I want to thank Garth for his time. If you want to visit Class Newt, there's links in the show notes below. Next week's episode is the last show of the year. Until then, Sloan.
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.